Uh, well, good morning, uh, everyone. I didn't realise that um, the span of Mark's gospel was also the span of the time uh, that Gavin has been on staff. I was going to say it feels like we've been in Mark for a long time, but it feels like just yesterday Gavin started. Now we do, we come to our final stop uh, in our journey uh, along with Mark today. And if you've been here the whole time, it has been um, a, a great journey. Uh, if you've joined us more recently, uh, it's really great to have you and hopefully today you can get a sense for some of, the, some of the gold that we've picked up in the last months looking at it. And as we come uh, to the end, I want to take you right back to the beginning on that first Sunday that Gavin was with us. Uh, the first verses of the book of Mark. This is what it says. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. A gospel, as you may know, is an announcement of good news. And so in this whole book, Mark has been telling us about this good news about Jesus the Messiah. And in this epic final chapter and a half, we're going to see why that news is so good. Why it's so good that Jesus is the Messiah. And so uh, we had this, uh, this reading and you will have noticed that as Mark uh, told us about Jesus' crucifixion and the empty tomb, he tells it without uh, much commentary. He tells us really just what happened. And so we need to look carefully at the meaning that Mark gives in his narrative. We're going to show... Uh, we're going to see how Mark shows us meaning by looking at particularly what the people say as they mock Jesus and the signs that accompany Jesus' death that Mark draws our attention to. And we'll find that this is such good news uh, for three reasons. Because Jesus brings us to God. It's good news because Jesus deals with our darkness and it's good news because Jesus is a king worth following. So let's begin. This is good news because Jesus brings us to God. Now the Bible says that we were made to be with God. That uh, without him, that's not how we should be. We're like a, a sidecar without a motorbike. I think most people sense that we are made for connection with God, even if it's only something that we get hints of uh, in perhaps uh, experiences we have listening to beautiful music or looking at the sun breaking through the clouds at uh, dawn. See, if there really is a, a living and good God, which there is, if there really is someone who is the source of life, a being way better than the most wonderful close friend that you can imagine, wouldn't being with him be a great thing? Wouldn't that be the best thing? So how are the events we read about here good news for those who long to be close to God, those who were made for it? Well, let's have a look at the first thing that these onlookers say. I'm going to read to you uh, from the first part of that reading. Verse 25, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Now listen to what they say. 
So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. How is this a pointer to good news? You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. The temple was the place where God was with his people in the Old Testament. But for the Israelites, the temple had always been rather unsatisfying. You know, only priests could go in to the the innermost part where God uh, actually appeared. And only then once a year. The temple structure had barriers built into it uh, to kind of illustrate that people who were consistently doing bad were in no state to actually be with a good God. It was kind of as if you, 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 you longed to hang out with a, a really good friend of yours, a wonderful close friend, but you find yourself in the background sabotaging the relationship by speaking about them behind their back, by never responding to their messages. And so this uh, temple was the place to be with God, but it was an unsatisfying solution. The idea of the temple being destroyed is a tragedy. It's the flawed, but the only way that closeness with God was a possibility. And Jesus had talked about uh, the Jerusalem temple being destroyed back in Mark 13. He had called the temple out as as ineffective uh, by um, interrupting its day-to-day activities, overturning the tables and so on. That was Mark 11. But not because he was going to physically jackhammer the foundations, but because he's bringing a better way to be with God than the physical temple. And so as they, they taunt him scornfully and vindictively, he's clearly not physically destroying the temple at that moment, but he is making it obsolete. And so now let's turn to uh, one of the, the strange signs that Mark points out as Jesus dies. Uh, jump down to verse 38 there. See what it says. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain, one of the barriers in the temple, separating uh, the outer court uh, where people could go from the inner court where just the priests could go. It was about 25 metres high, a huge ornate thing. It was destroyed in that moment as Jesus died. It was the thing that symbolised distance between people and God. And so they didn't, though they didn't realise it, Jesus didn't need to come down from the cross to destroy the temple. He actually chose not to. In his death, he was destroying the temple. In this moment, it was becoming obsolete as being the way to be near God. No longer a physical temple, knowing Jesus is the new and better way to do that. This is good news because Jesus brings us to God. It's also good news Because Jesus deals with our darkness. I don't know uh, what your week has been like this week. If it's been anything like mine, it's probably been a bit of a mixed bag. Some bits that you're happy with, other bits that definitely you got wrong. And if you're a little bit self-aware, you'll know that you've not lived completely as you should, that, that you actually can't. And we've talked about failure and success in the last few weeks and how society, our society is all about success and how uh, we want to at least appear successful. 
And so often we try to cover up our failures externally. And sometimes we cover them up even to ourselves. But you might recall that Jesus has already put his finger on the core of our problem. Back in uh, Mark 7, Jesus said, It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. He says that each of us uh, is a failure because each of us has a heart issue. The darkness is within us. We might hide behind facades of being okay, ignoring the damage we do to others, ignoring the damage we do to the God who made us. So how does Mark show us good news as Jesus hangs on the cross? Look at the next thing the onlookers say. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Verse 31. Even uh, these enemies of Jesus, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, even they, uh, at this point, acknowledge he has done some amazing things. You can probably recall some of them as you think back through Mark, the paralyzed man who had his legs healed and his sins forgiven, the outcast woman who was healed and restored, the daughter who was saved from death. They might be mocking him, but they're right. He has saved others from sickness and hunger and so on. And actually, Jesus can save himself at this point, but he chooses not to in order to to really save others, not just from paralysis or sickness or demon possession, but from the dark failure within. So look with me now at verse 33 at this other strange event that accompanies Jesus' death. Darkness comes over the whole land uh, until three in the afternoon. It's a cosmic sign. Darkness, of course, has um, some obvious associations, mourning, sadness. We wear dark clothes to funerals. But in the Bible, too, it's associated with with God's judgment, God weighing uh, in on evil, God punishing it. That is what's happening to Jesus. He cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. And it it seems that it's mistaken as a cry for Elijah, uh, that old hero of the Bible. Some bystanders may have thought that uh, somehow Elijah might have come to rescue Jesus, but they've got it wrong. He's not calling Elijah. It's a cry to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had resolved in the Garden of Gethsemane to drink the cup of God's wrath if it was not taken from him. And now he's draining it down to its dregs. The darkness is a sign of God's judgment. Darkness has descended on Jesus. He saves others by giving himself up. This is really good news. And so thirdly, we come to uh, the fact that this is good news because Jesus is worth following. So we spend our lives working out who or what to follow, what to give our allegiance to, who it is that we aim to please, who or what we devote ourselves to. Sometimes it's a a cause, perhaps even a good cause. Sometimes it's uh, a job or it's Study, throwing yourself into that, letting it dictate your schedule and your mind. 
For some, it could be a, a relationship or set of relationships, a particular person you look to for meaning, who you aim to please, even when it might be destructive or unsustainable. For me, I think it's often everyone else. I often just want people generally to be pleased with me, to think well of me, to like me. So I find it easy to flip uh, kind of to and fro between things that I think will please different people without actually doing what's right. What do you devote yourself to? What, what drives you? The problem is that we long to devote ourselves to something, to follow someone, to worship something, to be driven by something. But the things we, we choose inevitably disappoint. They can't carry all our hopes and expectations for them. And so how is Mark telling us good news for those who, who follow wrong? Well, let's see the third thing that Jesus is mocked with. Have a look what they say to him in verse 32. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Listen, they call him mockingly King, Messiah, and that was the name for the king who had been promised to Israel in the Old Testament, a great leader like David uh, or Solomon, a, a leader who would bring God's rule without failure to the whole world, often called uh, Son of God. This was someone that you could really get behind, someone that you could follow wholeheartedly, someone you could worship, someone who could give your life meaning and direction in the right way. Now, the Israelites had hoped that this king would lead them to victory over Caesar, to liberation and good times there and then. But Jesus didn't seem to be doing that at all, not in his uh, strange kind of nomadic life, not now as he was uh, dying on a cross. And yet Mark is pointing out how actually even at this moment, actually especially at this moment, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. So have a look at the strange thing Mark records as Jesus dies in verse 39. The centurion, the one who was tasked with leading the execution squad, he looks at Jesus as he dies and says, surely this man was the Son of God. It's the, the strangest moment to say that. It's as Jesus lets out his final cry and, and dies. Instead of uh, seeing a helpless, broken man, of which he'd no doubt seen many in his, uh, his time in service of the empire, this centurion, at this point, he sees the Son of God. No one else, no other human has yet said this in Mark's Gospel. But this pagan centurion realises the truth that Jesus is enthroned, he is crowned on the cross. And so Mark shows us in this most unexpected way that it's actually this moment that makes Jesus the most messiah He is a king who suffers for his people. He is a king who puts others before himself, a king who loves his enemies, who pours himself out for others. He really is the kind of king who can be followed wholeheartedly and with joy because he is so good. 
This really is good news because Jesus is worth following. Good news for those far from God. Good news for those in darkness. Good news for people who need to follow. That's, that's all of us. That's what Jesus' death meant. But the good news gets even better. Because Jesus' body is removed from the cross. It's placed in a tomb. But when the women go to spice his corpse on the third day, there is no body. There is just a young man to tell them that Jesus has risen, that he's alive. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's the last sentence in Mark's gospel. Seems seems a little unfinished, doesn't it? But in our earliest and best copies of Mark's manuscript, that's where it ends. Now, in some of your Bibles, you might see uh, an alternative ending. There are actually two main versions uh, of this alternate ending that appear in some later manuscripts of Mark. There's a shorter one that just doesn't sound really like Mark at all. There's a longer one which wraps up some loose ends with info that looks like it's been drawn from other Gospels. And it seems that some later kind of copyists who were writing this out also felt that the ending was quite abrupt. And so they just thought, well, we'll just add our own kind of ending just to wrap things up here. But it's very, very likely that Mark himself didn't write them. So it's, it's a bit of a mystery whether Mark deliberately finished like this or whether he somehow couldn't finish or whether um, he did finish, but the end part of the scroll was somehow lost very early on. It's, it's hard to say. But whatever happened, what we're left with leaves us thinking, could it be true? Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It leaves us thinking, could he be alive? If he is alive, what does that mean for us? Mark's hit a a cracking 16-chapter volley over the net, and now the ball is in our court. And so as we finish, let's have a think about some of the implications, a start on how the resurrection makes good news better. Jesus' resurrection makes good news better for those who need to be close to God. See, Jesus may have ripped the curtain in his death and judged the temple for good, But his resurrection means that he is the one who provides the way to be with God. Resurrected Jesus is alive right now, the Son of God. Resurrected Jesus is in God's presence in heaven right now on our behalf. If we trust him, our faith connects us to him right now. We experience the reality of Jesus' spirit working in us to show us more of him, to shape us more in character and action to be like him. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that even death is not enough to separate us from God. We know that those who trust him will be resurrected like him. And so like a reunion with a good friend, we know we yearn with solid hope for the day that Jesus returns and God himself will dwell face-to-face with his people. Jesus brings us to God. 
Jesus' resurrection makes good news better for those who are in darkness. It means that we don't have to retreat behind our facades of success anymore. The worst of you, the least good bits of you and me, the bits that we're most embarrassed of, the worst thing that you have done, all of that has been poured out on Jesus. The darkness fully enveloped him, but it's been destroyed. It's not holding him down anymore. So bring your failures to him. Bring them to the defeater of the, of the darkness inside. Admit them to him honestly and truly and with great assurance of forgiveness. And we can hope in a resurrection like his. If Jesus' resurrection makes good news better for those who need to follow. Because Jesus, the wonderfully good king, the true son of God, he lives. He is king right now. We are made to follow, to devote ourselves to something or someone. And who better than this wonderful, caring, kind king, the one who lived a perfect life, who then gave himself up for us, the powerful king who rose again. He can carry the weight of our devotion and our hope. He will not disappoint. And so this good king, he is way better than anyone else calling the shots. Better than me, that's for sure. He demands our allegiance in every aspect of life, but it's for our good. This king says to pick up your cross and follow him. He longs for us to live truly, to live how we were made to, to live lives of costly service for others, to live for him, the one worth living for. This is good news because Jesus brings us close to God. It's good news because he deals with the darkness within us. And it's good news because we have a wonderful king, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Will you follow him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for all that we've seen of him in Mark's gospel we thank you for his amazing life, compassionate and powerful. We thank you for his death, for his incredible sacrifice, for his unthinkable suffering for us. And we thank you for his mighty resurrection. Thank you that he is our king. Lord, we pray that you would help us to follow him. Amen.